Welcome to Stories We Can Tell. This is Jim McGinnis. Hope you like the episode. On certitude. Oh, beautiful for spacious skies, but now those skies are threatening. Don Henley. It was a beautiful spring day, and Quinn found himself still standing out on the balcony with Ray when the bell rang. His audience was a bunch of seniors whose give-a-damn was busted for the most part, but on this day, Quinn was determined to have their attention. He was greeted as he walked in. Good morning, Quinn, said Zoe, a girl of many piercings. Good morning to you. It was apparent that old Quinn was not in the best of moods, and just in case there was any doubt, he started the lesson with a quote. I walk the way providence dictates with all the assurance of a sleepwalker. Who said that? asked the bearded young man on the first row. Hitler, Quinn replied, unsure of the reaction it would bring. It brought little. He was finishing up a unit on terrorism, a lesson that included a brief mention of the Irish Republican Army. Quinn took no pleasure in that, being that his own family had ties to it. Because cousin was a rear gunner on a bread truck he would quip in a vain effort to make light of the dark. Then the teacher got serious. Nothing, he said, quoting Daniel O'Connell, is politically right, which is morally wrong. In another place, in another time, he could have spoken of centuries of brutal force used by the Brits over Ireland. But times had changed. The world had changed. He wasn't quite sure how to get this right. Quinn was flashing a PowerPoint up on the screen. It was riddled with excerpts from a George Will essay he had read years ago. In The Oddness of Everything, Mr. Will's premise was clear. The biggest threat to our civilization was certitude, an absolute conviction that one's beliefs are right and true. Certitude, Quinn told his class, is what makes people blow up churches fly planes into buildings or blow themselves up. It wasn't simple, and he didn't pretend to claim that there weren't deeper and darker forces at work. But the spirit of liberty, Will had said, was driven by doubt. I just might not be right. Gwen was careful not to step over the line, but he danced on it. He argued that Americans rested on the, America rested on the principle that there is more than one way to live, but that should not be taken as an attack on morals and traditions. There's got to be a middle ground between relativism and certitude. His indictment of zealotry included a swipe at American fundamentalists, those with a very narrow interpretation of the American dream. How dismal is it, said Christopher Hitchens, to see present-day Americans yearning for the very orthodoxy their country was founded to escape. Churches have been blown up in this country, he told his students. Crosses have been burned. Voices of reasons have been shouted down. America, Mr. Will said, is currently awash in an unpleasant surplus of clanging, clashing certitudes. That is why there's a bitterness to our political debate, absurdly disproportionate to our real differences.
next slide was a quote from Andrew Sullivan. He read it aloud and asked the students to follow. Faith for many of us is interwoven with doubt, a doubt that can strengthen faith and give it shadow. The doubt, that doubt means having great humility and an enormous reluctance to impose one's beliefs through civil law on anyone else. Doubt is not a sign of weakness, Quinn declared to his students, some of whom are writing down Sullivan's quote. There were certain passages, quotations, and verses that stuck with Quinn. This was one of them. He was a hoarder of excerpts, readings, movie lines, and even pieces of conversation he would stumble upon. He loved books, especially old ones, the smell of them, the feel of the worn pages, but he was mighty rough on them. He loved to mark them with pen or highlighter, and one reason he preferred hard copies to ebooks, aside from the humanness about them, was that he could underline and annotate. He was constantly gathering descriptions, quips, verses, and words of wisdom and sticking them in his journal next to random weather reports. The path to ending up in the journal was sometimes a long and winding one. It may travel from margin notes to napkin on the, or the back of a bank receipt. Sometimes while driving, he would hear something worth remembering on the radio and he'd pull off the side of the road so he could get it down. Quinn had been doing this for a long time. He filled several books. His mentors and teachers taught him that in order to write well, you have to constantly read others so you know what good writing looks like. But it was even more than that. The words can teach you how to live, how to become a noticer of things, and he was always adding his own words to the mix. His class discussion drifted toward a homily he had heard a few weeks earlier. Father Carl spoke lyrically of Jesus putting his faith in Peter, even though Peter had denied him three times. Of course, Father's point was that the church was built upon the shoulders of a man filled with doubt. Quinn wondered if he was pushing the issue a bit too hard, an occupational hazard for a public school teacher. Mentioning anything about religion usually required teachers to walk around on broken glass. It was a troubled time and religion was right in the center of it. How could a teacher not discuss the force of world religions? But these days, even the atheists were filled with certitude. They were determined to have things their way. A few years before, Quinn had been called out for showing a BBC video which described the Church of Scientology as a cult. Nothing ever came of it, but Quinn still wore the accusation as a badge of honor. He remembered how Father Carl's sermon twisted up a perfectly beautiful Sunday. He had spoken of the need to look upon the good in each other, and Quinn took it all in. Later that afternoon, he had pondered the homily while mowing the grass, and Quinn remembered that troubling line from the writer John D. MacDonald, who said he preferred fictional characters to real ones because real people had a way of disappointing him. But as he finished up and unfolded his six-foot-three frame from the riding mower, he caught himself laughing at the inordinate amount of time he spent alone and the strange way he kept loved ones at a distance. He, like McDonald, spent too much time being disappointed with family, with friends, and with himself. Damn it, Father, Quinn said out loud. You did it again. The Irish priest had a way of getting to him. 
Normally, Quinn would ease away from Sunday, placing his spiritual lessons on a shelf, or so he thought. Maybe the homilies reached deeper than he cared to admit. The teacher realized that he hadn't said anything in one or two minutes, but oddly the students were locked in, waiting for the next point. No one was on the phone, nobody was sleeping. He looked over his shoulder at the slideshow and saw a picture of his dog. Sorry, I went off the reservation for a moment there. Several, several of them laughed sympathetically. Way before you were born, a journalist wrote something that I can't get out of my head. His name was Lance Morrow. He called curiosity the noblest form of intellectual energy. He said the human mind goes nowhere without it, except maybe toward fanaticism. Yeah, you had that on your board one day, Zoe said. I wrote it down in my notebook. She was massaging her temples as she spoke. Zoe was prone to migraines. Without stopping his lesson, Quinn walked back to his desk and poured her a cup of green tea, then set it down on her desk, along with some natural sweetener. He made his way back to the front of the room, and she looked up in amazement. In her 12 years of public education, not many teachers had done anything like that. Quinn moved along as if it were commonplace, because it should be. Teaching and learning have become more legal and less social. We're afraid to be human. say that half the world belonged to people who have no interest in learning how to take off and land. The teacher sat down in his rocker. That had to be 10 or 15 years before those bastards flew planes into our buildings. The men who did that learned to fly without learning how to take off and land. Quinn let the metaphor just lie there. In his article, which had driven Quinn's lecture, George Will said one way to immunize ourselves against misplaced certitude was to contemplate the wonderful oddness of everything. Quinn believed that was rooted in curiosity, a virtue that public education was failing to fire. He wasn't quite sure how to do it, but he knew that the first step was for the teacher to be totally immersed in the task at hand. Quinn talked about the story of ethnic cleansing that went on in the Balkans during the 1990s. He told of soldiers promising to visit vengeance upon the grandchildren of those who had wronged their grandparents. You know, I'm not sure that could happen in America. You talked about that in your book, a girl named Lonnie said, smiling. I did, and you have earned my undying gratitude for reading it, Quinn said. We can't remember what we did last week, let alone pass down a grudge through generations. I worry about that. What else are we forgetting? The phone rang, but the teacher seemed not to hear it. So, it's better to hold grudges, someone asked. No, that's not what I'm saying. But there are people, some in this school, maybe some in this class, who walk around with chips on their shoulders and they don't even know why. It's rooted in something far deeper than police profiling and the cycle of poverty. I talked about this too, Lonnie. It seems like people who take it to the streets these days are detached from those things like the civil rights movement because they have no historical grasp of the long fight for justice. Their protests are strangely hollow to me 
at least maybe because they are disconnected from the stream of American history. Quinn spoke of the price paid by people like M.L. King and Alice Paul and Cesar Chavez. Don't forget Doris Huerta, said Maria from the back. He nodded and said, I'm hopeful that the more young people know, the more likely they will be to enter public service. The teacher stood by the door and spoke of other things like our insensitivity to other people's rights. That's because lots of us have been cut off from the narrative, and when we do take the time to learn, we take historical events out of context, which skews our understanding of the events and the characters involved. We just drop into the story, making no effort to grasp the complexity of it. said Zoe, holding her tea with both hands. We want simple explanations from others, but we offer complicated excuses for our own behavior. This was how it was with young people. Something would trip their triggers and they took over. Quinn pointed at Zoe with approval of her observation and then continued. Politics seems to be a boring waste of time because you don't have anything obvious at stake. Stakeholders figure out very quickly that it's anything but a waste of time. So, someone said, so get a stake, Quinn shouted. Take the effort to open your eyes and see how you can make a difference. The more active we are in politics, the easier it is to see the importance of politics. So when do we stop being great? Ask a boy on the right. Just when the bell rang. Hey, maybe I'll see you tomorrow, said Quinn, hopefully.